Welcome back to the John Hallett Podcast, everybody. I am John Hallett, and I have my friend and instructor, John Whitman, founder of the Krav Maga Alliance, joining me today. How are you, John? Doing well. How are you? I am doing great. Good to talk to you again. It's been, it seems Absolutely. like Vegas was just, you know, <laughs> a few months ago, but gosh, time just flies by here. Yeah, especially through the holidays. Yeah. So how have you been? Uh, good, busy. I mean, after the holidays, New Year stuff has been good. Uh, the um, between running the gym and the Krav Maga Alliance, things are are keeping me busy. I also finally, after like a decade of not publishing, I, I just finished a new book, so I'm excited about that as well. Oh, that's awesome! That's actually one of the things I wanted to to ask you about um, in there because I'm like, I was surprised doing a little bit of research of like. Oh my gosh, he has 67 titles to his name. Is that around correct or is Amazon? That sounds right, but let's let's be honest. A lot of those, no offense to the publishers that I worked with back then, but a lot of those books are kind of hack books. Like they're they're little tchotchkes. Not all of them are big, massive uh, novels yeah. that that uh, that you should put on your shelf. Um, there are a few books there that I'm very very proud of, but uh, when you say 67, there's a lot of little little things. Yeah, in I there. saw there's like a lot of little books in there, but hey, still yeah. you got your name on them and. Uh, <laughs> You did something for him, no matter. You know, little things all add up. So, right. You know, most of us in the Krav Maga community know your, you know, your Krav Maga books, but you know, a lot of people don't know that. You know, I remember the first time I saw one of your books, I was just like scanning through um, the grocery store book section for something to read on a vacation, and I'm like John Whitman, and I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. I think it was the Star Wars or the 24 series. I forget. Yeah, so the, the two biggest things that I wrote uh, back then, I did a lot of um, what, what were called media tie-ins, where the, the books were original. So they're, they're all my stories. But basically, because of some work I'd done and some creative writing I had done in the past, um, I, I made a connection with Lucasfilm. Um, I, I did some, some stuff uh, indirectly for Star Wars back in the day, and they liked my work, so they asked me to do some... Uh, original stories, original books set in the Star Wars universe. So I wrote a series called Galaxy of Fear for young adults, for kids, really. They're called chapter books. Um, and uh, that sold really well. And because of that, I had other companies contact me about doing the same thing where it was inside the world they created, but it was original story. So I did some other things that are not worth talking about, <laughs> but I... Um, <laughs> I also wrote uh, four novels about Jack Bauer from the series 24. Yeah, that was a great series. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It was actually challenging because, well, um, the first book was cool because the, the books had to be in the same format as the show. Um, so basically, actually, every book that I wrote was actually 25 chapters. So there was, I got to write a prologue and the prologue could be anywhere from the day before to a month. Could, the prologue could be for any time frame. But once the actual first chapter started, every chapter was like an hour. Oh, uh, and okay. I had to count for every minute of every hour. And it was cool the first time. By the third book, it was exhausting. I bet. <laughs> yeah, that, that must be hard. Well, just think about it. any book you've ever read, really any even short story you've ever read, probably has some moment where the author writes, and later that day, or the next day, yeah. or after sleeping on it, like something that moves time forward. I couldn't do any of that. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that was yeah, that was an interesting series. So, well, tell us a little bit about you outside of Krav Maga. What do you like to do outside the gym? Um, well, it's going to sound like I'm joking, but I'm not. I play the banjo. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it. Uh, I'd always wanted to play a musical instrument, and I, I'm not. I'm not musical at all. But I always wanted to learn something, and I picked up the typical instruments. I tried piano when I was younger, and I played guitar. And I can do a little guitar now, but years ago I tried it and. 
nothing felt right to me. And um, as weird as it sounds, my grandfather, who, who he's passed away, but when he was a young man, he played the banjo. And so one day I just picked up a banjo and I felt okay with it. So I started playing it and um, I, I played off on and off. I was not good. I wasn't consistent. And then what happened, reaching back really a couple decades, um, in a Muay Thai fight, I broke my left arm. Um, and I actually uh, had nerve damage from that break. It, it, it broke my the ulna and I dislocated my elbow. Um, and the bones healed well enough, but the elbow dislocation damaged everything in my arm. And I actually, I couldn't move my fingers for... I think it was something like six weeks or two months. Um, I, eventually everything came back, but for a while I couldn't couldn't move my fingers. And the doctors told me it was going to be okay. Like they gave me the whole rundown medically about how it's fascinating how um, the nerve itself can be severed, but the, the sheath in which the nerve grows is really tough to break. And they said, basically your nerve snapped, but the, the sheath is still intact. So it'll basically, they said, it's about a week per inch and it'll grow wow. back. And they, they predicted almost to the day when I was starting moving my fingers again. And they were right. Wow. I bring that up because uh, once my, my the movement came back, I wanted to find something I could do to really, really work on getting my dexterity back. And if you can imagine guitar or banjo, in my case, moving your fingers was important. Yeah. So I, I, I this thing that I picked up years ago and and uh, kind of you know played on and off just for the fun of it, it, it became a hobby because I wanted to work on my dexterity. And I've been playing ever since. Oh, that's great. I know. Yeah. I it's so terrible, that. by the way, but I enjoy it. Yeah, who cares? You're right. <laughs> who cares? It's a banjo. It always sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that that'd be awesome for uh, sitting around the campfire here in Colorado um, when they don't have a fire ban. And <laughs> anytime and you want to play, yeah, play you know, if you guess you don't want to be at the campfire, bring me out. I'll play the banjo. They'll be gone in minutes. <laughs> yeah, they'll be gone. <laughs> Clear out, everybody. I know. I told the my students I'd run. I did a little thing for the teen class um, and the kids class that they could shock knife me if they could uh, tell me what a Nantucket sleigh ride was. Oh, we got they a, get a ride? Um, two of the, I thought would get more kids trying to participate, but only two did. Um, they, uh, they did it. Um, I was like, so they got it right. They, they, they do. It's a, the whole whaling thing, right? Where they'd harpoon the whale and get dragged along in the yep. boat. Yep, exactly. So I was like, if we get enough, then I'll sing or something. And a bunch of people like, <laughs> I'm like, I always wanted to be a singer, but I don't have a good voice. But, you know, same thing. I'm like, I wish I was good. Yeah. So, but, but anyway, well, so I, I play the banjo and obviously I, I do writing. Um, I enjoy reading. Um, but uh, but that's it. I mean, you know, that when I when I'm not doing martial arts stuff, Aside from general family stuff, I'm trying to get better at that at music, and I'm working on a book. Yeah, what are you? What's the name of the book that you just wrote? So the one I just finished, which should be published hopefully at the end of this month, uh, is a science fiction novel. Again, I wrote Star Wars back in the day, um, and uh, that one is is done. It's it's part part of a three part series. I'm kind of tinkering with the second book in that series now, but the other book that I'm trying to finish as that one is is complete. Uh, is a book about a, as you declare a Krav Maga guy. It's fiction. It's it's not a it's not a how-to book. Um, it's actually a, a an action novel about a guy who knows Krav Maga, of course. Um, yeah. That's my next book. The the book I finished is science fiction. It's actually in in a very roundabout way. It's um it's a retelling of the Civil War, um, but it's set in space. If you imagine that instead of being there being fifty states or at that point, you know, however there were thirty some odd states. Um, uh, that 
some of whom are are uh, trying to secede. It's actually Earth has colonized a number of planets, and some of them are trying to secede. Um, yeah. One of them in particular, and basically, it's it's that theme about um, about the rights of the organization uh, versus the rights of the individual entity. Um, and uh, but it plays out in space. So hopefully, people like it. Yeah, that's cool. I look forward to checking it out. Thanks. So. Um, tell us a little bit how the Krav Maga Alliance got started. Well, that's a story. Um, you were actually part of that story. Um, so um, again, without getting, I, I, I'm I'm not shy about sharing politics, but without getting too deep in the weeds yeah, for anybody, we don't need um, to do that. I used to be the president of Krav Maga Worldwide, and that ended. I, I there was a, a parting of the ways, let's say. Um, and the truth is, back then, I didn't really have plans to to start my own organization. I definitely wanted to start my own gym because I love teaching. But I didn't have plans to do an organization. But what happened, and I think it's inevitable with most of us, and I'm sure you have people like this in your circle, but a lot of the people who were, a lot of the school owners who were connected to, to my old company, Kravaga Worldwide, they they associated their training with me personally. And when I was no longer the main person there, they approached me and said, listen, we still want to keep training through you. We want to get a black belt through you. Is that okay? And I said, to this small group, I said, sure, I'm happy to do it, but I have no organization behind it. I have nothing um, to give you except to say that, yes, in my opinion, you passed your test, you're a black belt. And the first group was relatively small, but they said, yes, we want to do it with you. And I was honored by that, of course. Um, and at the time, I really had nothing behind it, no no logo, no organization or nothing, but they wanted to test with me. So I said, yes. And Again, I'm simplifying a, a bigger story, but people came out and I, I ran a black belt test. I, I'd run many black belt tests before when I when I was the head of worldwide. So I ran their test and the, the, this group passed. They were all great. Um, and sure enough, afterward, they all said, great, we passed. Now, what do we get for that? And, and I said, well, I told you I don't have anything, but I'll, I'll try and make something up if you want. And they said, yes, please. So two things from that moment, two things fell together. One, I thought, well, what am I going to call myself? And I just said, uh, frankly, from being a Star Wars writer, I said, you know what, Alliance. We'll do Krav Maga Alliance. Nobody else has called that. So we're going to be the Krav Maga Alliance. And I came with that name. And then as it happened, there was a guy, I, I, I'm still friends with him, but he's a graphic designer. And years and years before that, when I was running worldwide, he came to me with a variation of what was at the time the only logo being used in the US, the, the circle uh, logo that most of us know, the Mem logo. He had come with a variation of that. Um, and he pitched it to me as something that, that we should use. This is again, years and years ago. And I, I, my response to him was, Hey, that's a cool looking logo, but why would I do that? We spent all these years branding that circle logo. That's been our brand. We're working really hard to expand that. I don't want to dilute that. And he understood and he went away. So I called that guy up after these people passed the black belt. I said, Hey, I need a logo for, for diploma. Do you have that logo still? He said, sure. So I, I bought it off him. And literally within 24 hours, I had a name and I had a logo and I created diplomas for these first few people who had um, done their black belt tests. And it just grew from there. Like the, the that group were now part of the Kramaga Alliance and, and we created a, a, a basic agreement. A few more people heard about that and joined. And I mean, I, I, this is going to be me doing kind of a humble brag, but um, my proudest statement about the Krav Maga Alliance, uh, which is now like 15 years old, um, is that we've never actually marketed. Um, yeah. 
It's all been word of mouth. The, the, the only caveat is that one year, because we got invited, one year we did go to like the martial arts super show and we had a booth for one weekend. We did that because they invited us out there and I wanted to, to take advantage of the invitation. But aside from that one weekend, we've never actually marketed. We don't send out emails. Um, everything we do is word of mouth and we've grown from that. So it all started from that weekend of a few people wanted to do a black belt test. Yep. Yeah. I remember, I remember putting Troy uh, Straith in charge. I'm like, you tell him. <laughs> <laughs> you tell yeah. him like we just want to train with him i mean i that was i'm like i felt you know i was in that group of you know i just want to continue um training with you because i think you're just a great guy and like i said like i don't want to involve the politics i just want to train um and you know i always felt like it was a great community that was around you and you know wanted to join that thank you i, I appreciate that and, and and that's that's that part's true whether uh, i'm not taking credit for that personally but that group of people that that really wanted to work together is and was a great community um and i think we all felt that that first weekend of that black belt test it was an awesome group um and it's it's only grown from there um and you know a lot of those people are still involved not all of them uh, but a lot of them are still involved and i've always liked that in fact you mentioned politics if you look at the crime guidance website that's the first line of one of the first paragraphs is um we don't want to be involved in politics. And, and yeah. to this day, I tell people that you can be part of other organizations as well if you want to. Um, stay with us as long as you think we're benefiting you. If you feel like we're no longer benefiting you, then then leave and do something else. Like um, uh, I just want it to be a, a productive, energetic, and positive program. That's not a piece, <laughs> but um, uh, for everybody. And I want it to be uh, an influence on their lives that that's good, that helps them as individuals and, and as school owners. So, uh, and and I think I think by and large we've done that. Yeah, I think so. I think it's great. Sometimes, you know, I think students coming in don't kind of quite understand the loss of the trademark and that type of thing, or even like you have an instructor, like they don't even understand that. And it's funny that's one of the things I say all the time. I'm like, you know. Kramaga Worldwide fell apart. I ended up following John Whitman. He's just grown. I'm like, and you know, one of the crazy things is he doesn't market. He's just a great guy. The community, the instructors, and it has grown. I mean, how many affiliates are there now? Well, it would have been a bigger number pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Pre-COVID is a better number, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, honestly, right now, post-COVID, it's. I think we have about, if you count locations, it's in the, like the mid 80s, um, maybe low 80s. Pre-COVID, it was 130. Yeah. So COVID hit us badly, uh, uh, like as it hit everybody else in different yeah. ways. Um, yeah. But yeah. But honestly, like, I, I, and don't get me wrong, I, I want the organization to grow. In fact, I just had a meeting this morning with some people about how we can start growing again. But I think one of the things that's helped, and and again, it's back to this humble brag thing, but um, we have focused on servicing the people that that are part of our group instead of looking for the next round of people to join it's all been about what can we do to service the people that we have um and i think i think that approach has helped out overall um you, you i mean you you can speak to that more than i because you're on the receiving end but that's, yeah. that's generally been our where we put our energy yeah i think it's fantastic it's like you know the great stuff the 15 minute mentoring you know fantastic stuff there and you know? Thank you, thank you. And I, for anybody who hasn't watched those or heard of them yet, basically these are videos that we put out for the affiliates. Um, and I mentioned the Martial Arts Super Show a few minutes ago. And tell me, John, if this is like your experience too, but the whole reason I came up with that idea of 50-minute mentor is I've been to a lot of martial arts business seminars 
lots and lots of different events and they're all good. I, I, I get something from, from all, all of them, even the ones that I think are less full of information. I still get something from them, but whether it's a really great seminar or a, or a poor one, I always feel like they're too long that, that the, the presenter has some really good kernels of information, but it's usually a few things sprinkled in like an hour or two hour long presentation. And I wanted to take that idea and condense it. By the way, I'm not really accusing the um, the school, the, the presenter of, of putting a lot of fluff in there. I just feel like they're giving a presentation and they, they've been given an hour. So they try and fill the yeah. hour that they were asked to fill. So I tried to take, strip away all the other stuff and just boil it down to 15 minutes of one topic. And each, oh, by the way, to add one more thing, when the presentation is good, it's full of good stuff, but it's almost too much good stuff. Like the, the presenter goes off on three different areas, all of which are great, but it's too much information for me to focus on. Yeah. So I try to uh, pick one, to do laser focus on one topic. And and so these these 15 mentors are not uh, three topics, they're not three aspects of one topic, literally it's one thing that we're talking about for 15 minutes. And so far it's been well received. Yeah, I like it. It's not it doesn't take a ton of time to have your staff watch it, you know, for you to take 15 minutes and you're like, okay, I can take this bite side thing and focus on this versus there's so many ideas after you leave one of those super shows or anything like that. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have so much. And you, you know, I think we've both been sitting at one and be like, oh yeah, I have notes on that, but I never got around to it. When you got that 15 minutes, you can kind of focus on that for a couple of weeks and, Try to grow that and get it going. Yeah, that's the idea, and I, I, I think, I think it's beneficial. I, I'm exactly the same Buddhist as you are. I've, I've come away with tons of information, but it's, it's overwhelming to implement. Um, what, what I hope is that when we talk about these small topics, it is not only informational, but informational. But as you said, it's, it's, you can implement it. It's not about hey, we've got to step back and spend a month planning a process. It's like here's one thing you could start doing tomorrow in your gym. And you'll see some improvement. And I, I, by the way, and even though I'm sometimes the presenter of these, I've learned a ton by doing the 15-minute mentors. And I've left the, the the discussion on Zoom and I've gone down to my staff and said, okay, here's what we're doing right now. And it's yeah. worked. Yeah. yeah, I think they're great. Actually, one uh, great tool I've been using, I keep um, telling my social media and podcast producer that I'm going to fire him, that he shouldn't have introduced me to it is that chat.openai platform that um chat g as i don't know always i get it mixed up with that i think chat gpt is that what it is yeah yep i'm always like gross national product i'm like no it's not gross national product so are you actually using it because i i know other but i'm not using it so i am using it um we've been experimenting with it this week to write um descriptions for facebook or instagram or youtube Okay. It's phenomenal. Huh. That way I'm like, right. And I've done, we've got some ideas for little videos, like write me a Krav Maga kids bullyproof uh, TV commercial. And it's like 30 seconds to a minute that it full on writes what my pre is like, that's pretty much my job right there. Besides <laughs> <laughs> like it writes code. Wow. So it, is it, is- but it's not it's not um, active, right? Once that script is it's a script, and then you have to create yep. the product afterwards, right? Yep. Yeah, I've done. Um, you know, give me an ad campaign for our Project Fit class, and it pulls off stuff. Like I'm like, that sounds like me. 
Huh. That's like that little line in there on our description and our website, it expanded on okay. like different things, community, and it writes out an ad or a description, like tell, get people motivated to come into my gym about my project fit class. And it will write a description on it. It's pretty crazy what it'll do for you. Are you pointing it at some source material? Nope. All I do is ask a question and it, I mean, even it's, um, tell me what to do when somebody chokes me from the front. <laughs> Isn't all that bad <laughs> of a description of what wow. to do. Wow. So, but it's right. Yeah. Writes radio commercials. Write me a radio script or something. You could do voiceover on your video. Huh. It, it writes the script. Like tell like I've done a bunch of experiments and we've got a couple kind of launched on Facebook. Just none of them are ads, but they would make good ads. We're like, well, let's see how it does organically. Interesting. It I've had it um, because, you know, YouTube, we're trying to grow our channel, like respond to replies. And they're, you know, of course, they're so annoying half the time. But I've just started, um, please respond to this YouTube reply. Give me a reply for YouTube to this oh. statement, to this question. And it'll blast it out. I'm like, wow, it took me a minute and a half for this thing to produce a answer and i was sitting there going how should i respond to this person what's the best way what should i say and just to get a response just, uh, my question is about logistics so but then you have to cut and paste right are you copying yep. the text? i'll okay. copy and paste it so like it's, it's not implementing time, anything for you. okay i it's copy cool. and paste it you know i had a bunch of questions for you and that i had in my head and then i asked my wife if she, i'm like what do you think i should ask john um and she's she said when are you going to get Joe Rogan or Jocko get some big celebrity to endorse Krav Maga of like what they've <laughs> done for BJJ? She's like, when is he going to do something like that? <laughs> <laughs> that we did it way back in the day. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a lot of celebrities back in the day. Nothing recently, yep. I have to confess. Yeah. Um, so, so tell her that I'm working on it. Okay. And then but, my producer. Yeah. Um, he, I am like, hey, do you got anything like in your head that you think I should ask him? And he gave me like two or three things. And I think they were similar to stuff I had. And then I was like, wait a second, let me see what the chat has to say. And it gave, me 10, it gave me 10 great. I'm like, well, those are great. And maybe it'll fill the gaps if I need to fill the gaps on any of my questions. Well, well I want, I'm dying to know at least one of those. What, you want I? to know one of them? Okay. Sure. Um, let's see. There was a great, actually, I like this one. And I wanted to like try to make sure I would get it in. What advice would you give to someone who is interested in learning Krav Maga or pursuing a career as a Krav Maga instructor? I thought that oh, was. Oh. Well, to be fair to, the, to us, that's, those are two different questions. Yes. Um, I like the instructor one. Okay. So, these are, so um, make sure that you have a passion for it. Um, and if you want to be making a business, make sure you make a distinction between your passion and the business. Um, because as you know, they're different things. Right. Um, uh, I if you really have a passion for for making people safe, then you should be an instructor. Um, if you if your interest is in your own ego, then don't do it. And I think, you know, I've seen both those people, right? Some people, yeah, and really, they don't have to be. I'm not saying they're bad people, but some people um, thrive on being in front of the group and uh the energy they receive from that group. And I'm not criticizing that 
that aspect of people, but that's not a good reason to become an instructor, right? That's that's a, almost a negative reason. Um, uh, I'm going to guess you're kind of similar. I I draw attention to myself when I teach because it makes my teaching more effective, but it's not who I am. I'm actually more in, more introverted. Um, uh, so you use that that energy you get from the group to help them learn. But if that's your reason for doing it, then don't because it's going to backfire on you or they're going to suffer. But if you're if your passion really is the system and making other people safer, I can't think of a more rewarding thing to do, whether it's as a hobby or as a business, um, than be a teacher. It's 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 amazing. And you know, again, I, I'm I'm talking to somebody who has all the same experiences I have. But um, there's nothing like having some. First of all, there's nothing like seeing somebody grow into their confidence through physical activity and feeling like they can now protect themselves. It's an amazing experience. And then when on those luckily rare occasions, when somebody does come back and say, Hey, I use this and it kept me safe. There's nothing like that feeling you get knowing that, that you are part of their process of making themselves safer is, is amazing. Um, so my, to repeat myself, my advice is if you want to be a teacher, just make sure you're in it for the right reasons. And if you are in it for the right reasons, there's nothing more rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. I mean, sometimes I really have to psych myself up before, you know, I start because I am such an introvert of like, okay, I'm going to be in front of people. But then I just love doing that. And even in the last week, we've had um, an elementary school fifth grader and a freshman in high school, both escape bear hugs. Oh, wow. And, you know, great to, you know, hear from their parents and even the, the freshman, um, froze up at the beginning he had just started Krav Maga I was kind of getting bullied a little bit he froze up and ended up getting smacked by a kid in the hallway and of course it was on social media you know kids had their phones out because the kid was in his face and right to kind of deal with that so it was fantastic that you know I get he got jumped in the bathroom and he's like dad I escaped the bear hug and then all of a sudden I had this kid in an arm bar on the ground <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like that is awesome like especially how you know the, how the beginning of the year started for him so that makes all the you know the tough business side like we were talking before we hit right. board it makes all the tough side of the business just so worth it um, to hear those stories yeah absolutely oh, absolutely and, and, and again the people who go into it to help others will get something out of it um uh it is exhausting, but and, and and you have to have some passion for it. But if you're doing it for those reasons, you get those rewards. Um, yeah. And I mentioned the business side only because uh, the your question was more about or, or your, your chat GPD's question yeah. <laughs> about being an instructor. But I'm going to assume that some portion of those, those people are thinking make, about making it their business. And I would just say to those people, um, understand the difference between a hobby and a business uh, because. Yeah. As, as you well know, you have to run your business like a business. If you do it well to the to the members, to your even to your staff, it still has that fun energy that, hey, we're all training in this cool stuff together. You don't want to lose that energy. But if all you do is think about your time on the mat, then you're not going to have a successful business. You're going to have a hobby that's expensive. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> so as long as the people who want to turn that into a business understand that you know, you have to draw the line and say, okay, now I'm, even though they're having fun out there, I'm going to step off the mat, come into my office, do the paperwork, plan the lessons, plan the marketing, or have my chat GPT plan the marketing for me. Um, but you, you have to do that, that non-fun stuff. Um, 
So I realize that's a slightly different question, but I, I get that advice all the time to people. If you love this and you just want to keep doing it, then be an instructor somewhere, teach, teach for somebody else or teach at a club or at the YMCA. Um, and that's great. You can get that same feeling of, of a reward. Um, but if you want to make it a business, understand that you're not running a business. Yeah, I think that's a, a tough side. And even, you know, I started and I was doing carpentry and doing um, Krav Maga part-time and turned into a business, but sometimes you got to, you know, it can take you a couple of years of like, Hey, I've got to really run this as a business, especially when it starts to grow and expenses start to add up and you like, yeah. Hey, it was all well and good when you're in the local health club, but you know, trying to cover overhead and other expenses. And, and this, this was all back in Nantucket, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I knew you back then, but I can't recall. Did you, have a, an actual school, a standalone school back there in Nantucket, or did that start when you moved out to Colorado? Um, we had, well, I had when I started Krav Maga, I was a Taekwondo instructor, had okay. left my instructor, and kind of the same thing. I couldn't get out of the grocery store without parents asking me when I if I was going to teach again. Okay, so I kind of started my own little thing, mainly because just people we pulled our kid out, and so I started my own little thing um, at a ballet dance school i rented space and i also rented space from our local health club rented their aerobics room for my right. adult program that i then being a carpenter i built a cottage slash studio <laughs> on my property to to not pay you know to be able to run a bigger program and i went well this is going to be a long-term investment um, you can turn it into a, I think it was a one or two bedroom cottage um, <laughs> in there. And I'm like, I can always turn it into a cottage and rent it. Um, it turned out, you know, great when we decided to move to Colorado, um, we're able to sell that. And the guy wanted to make it his own office. And I forget what plans he had for it, but it started to be a business then. And, and you got to be the only person, I, at least I know, who actually built his own uh, <laughs> gym by hand. <laughs> Yeah, that was typical. That was some, that was some, a lot of long days, a lot of long days and teaching and trying to keep it all going at the same time was tough. And then, you know, moved out here to Colorado and, you know, now you're paying rent. I mean, I mean, back then, sometimes I'm like, God, I love Colorado and Nantucket's definitely changed, but, you know, I think it only added like $250 to my mortgage. To wait. When I built the studio, because I oh, did I it myself and I only had to pay for material. Right, right. And I traded with other trades, got to it. Get the electrical done and that type of stuff. That it only added $250 to my mortgage payment. Yeah, that's and awesome. Now you're going overheads like <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I mean, I, I can't speak what's happening in Castle Rock, but I, I'm in LA and uh, um, my pre COVID, my my other building, I actually had a, um, a a guy I wanted to partner with me and we went together and we tried to buy that building, uh, which is in the west side of LA, a very, very expensive area. And and literally we approached him um, and, and the guy, the landlord talked to me all the time about landlord stuff. But when we approached him with the idea of buying the building, he literally didn't even answer my call, wouldn't answer an email, just ignored <laughs> me. So then I tried to talk to his attorney and he also just ignored me. Like they literally just I'm sure they were laughing. They, yeah. they had no interest in selling at all because they were making so much money off of being the landlord. Um, I wanted to be the landlord, but I couldn't do it. Yeah. It's a little hard out here. 
<laughs> yeah, it is so hard. I mean, we're not quite California, but definitely where I'm at in Douglas County, it's probably it's a you know a very wealthy community. So everything around here is really expensive, you know, even pre-COVID. So I got kind of lucky with our building that we're in. We were looking and looking um to buy and do like the SBA loan and yeah go through that we I mean that was it we jumped through a lot of hoops but we got really lucky I think it was 2015 and the guy that owned it was an architect and the dog um daycare and grooming place they had to go out of business because that was their second location and they weren't following all the rules for Colorado. Oh. And okay. they were off of, I think, in an Arizona business model. And I think one of the other um, doggy daycares turned them in to not oh, have no. staff no. at night. So we got kind of lucky being able to come because we were looking, looking. And every building was either taken by a church that right. we were looking at. And a church uh, scooped it up. And then a local gun range um got the building that i was really really wanted i mean this the place where i was great but the real estate agent never called me back i'm like you really didn't want a bidding war you just went to one guy i said i was interested and they went to just one and just closed the deal and that was the day i'm like i went to look for a new real estate agent for the commercial side but um he's he's a good buddy now so it worked out for the best and you know, we've and got, so I, I forgot that you actually you you bought your building. Is, is that the, you, yep? Yeah, my wife and I bought the building, and we're like, I that's part that. of the business. You know, the retirement as a small business owner. What are we doing to take care of ourselves? Because yeah. you know, we don't have a four hundred one k retirement plan from our from our business. I mean, we have our small little stuff we do ourselves, but right. not like a lot of big companies and the packages some of these people get. So yeah, I, I struggle with that. You know, I, I the um, well retirement itself, I, I, I struggle with. But in terms of just owning property, like I said, I tried to buy that building and couldn't. What I'm in now, I I I couldn't afford the other one, but I, I couldn't afford this. LA is just so expensive, and yeah. I envy anybody anywhere uh, in any market who can buy the property. Cause you're right. You want that. You want to own the building that you're in. So you're basically paying yourself rent or paying off your mortgage and yeah. you'll have that thing to keep or sell when you're ready to be done. Yeah. I mean, I tried that different play and most landlords do like kind of laugh at you. I mean, I had one guy laugh at me. Um, literally, I'm like, Hey, can I buy this unit? And they were like, yeah, no, we're not like, we make way too much money off of this. We're not going to, sell this unit right. Right. So, it's a one thing we never get more of is land well land and yeah. time but uh but land doesn't increase so the people who have it it's good for them they, they were smart yeah yeah retirement's uh retirement's tough i actually <laughs> my joke is with my kids class i tell them that um my retirement program is that i'm going to live with every kid that for a week or two that I have taught. And if you've driven me crazy in class, I'm staying a month. And they're like, <laughs> they're there. So the reaction I get from them is pretty funny sometimes. So it's uh it's a joke, but I always tell kids like invest in real estate, get your own mat. You guys spread out, invest in real estate as soon as you can. It's you know, not bad idea. just your own house. I mean, it helps set you up. I mean, that's what helped me get started here in Colorado was having that place that I built myself. So I had a lot of equity built up because I did it myself. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, and this is probably not one of the topics for the podcast, but um, 
you know, I'm looking at my, like my kids both live in LA right now and they're in their early mid twenties. Um, and they are genuinely concerned about being able to afford to buy a home in, in LA. I mean, like, so they're making plans for their lives that don't include um, living here, which is like moving out of LA, if you want to, it's fine. But moving out of LA because you can't afford it is just sad. Um, yes, that's so, it. Uh, you know, there's, there are plenty of things not to like about a big city like Los Angeles. And if you choose, decide that those things aren't good for you and you want to leave, great. But if you're being driven out by housing markets, that's just sad. Um, and these are two young professionals doing well in the careers they've chosen. And they're still thinking that they're not going to afford to buy a house here. It's it's, it's Yeah, rough. that's happened here in Colorado, too. My families are like, my young, like, they're, they can't afford to live here. Yeah. And then then that person's like, oh, maybe we'll move closer to our kids and future grandkids and they're leaving. And that's a sad thing when people have to leave the state that they love and want to actually be there, but, you know, want to make the right decision in life and not be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Apparently sad. all those people are moving to Texas and Tennessee. So uh, um, I'm sure those states love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> sure they do. Montana. So. <laughs> Well, I think this is a good place uh, for a word from our sponsors. Hold on tight. We'll be right back, guys. Attention martial arts gym owners. Are you looking for a way to boost your business and offer your students the best self-defense training possible? Look no further than the Krav Maga Alliance. Our unique training program is designed to teach your students the most practical self-defense techniques in a way that is understandable by all. Our instructors are trained professionals with years of experience and a passion for teaching. The Krav Maga Alliance offers a wide range of training options, including instructor certification courses and seminars. So you can customize your training to fit the needs of your gym your students. Our program is also a great way to attract new students to your gym as many people are looking for practical self-defense training in today's world. So why wait? Join the Krav Maga Alliance today and take your gym to the next level. Your students will thank you for it. Krav Maga Alliance, because your student's safety is our top priority. So visit us online at KravMagaAlliance.com. Self-defense is the greatest tool you have to preserve life, mostly yours. So when situations pop up and you need to take safety into your own hands, Rocky Mountain Self-Defense and Fitness is here to help you train in life-saving techniques to make sure that you go home safe. So to learn more, go to rmsdf.com. That's rmsdf.com to sign up for a trial class to start your training today. Remember, you fight like you train, so train hard, train smart, and train Rocky Mountain Self-Defense and Fitness today. Thanks for joining us, guys. Again, I've got John Whitman here. Um, when we were talking uh, a little sidetrack real estate, and I really would encourage you guys, uh, if you're a school owner, is to check out that chat.openai.com platform because it can really write you some really good content. It will write you a marketing plan. One of my guys is in um, cybersecurity and he they were asking it to write it write policy and give us something. They're like, it cranks it right out. Um, it's pretty- do you just go on a, uh, is there, use a browser and get to it? Yeah, that- yeah, you can use, yeah, that's the website, chat.openai.com. Okay. Um, I think there was another maybe landing page, but that's what I've got up on my computer and asked you to create a username or huh. you know, log in, you know, want to use Facebook or Google. I just use my Gmail account and, you know, it's been fantastic. I mean, some of the ads um, we've like 
give me some encouragement to give to a member that's having a hard time. Huh. And it, it's fan because you know you sit there and you struggle. I mean, I'm not a writer like yourself, and it I struggle. I mean, I can come up with some content, but it's going to take me a while, or even right. just content for the website. Yeah, and it will give you, and you can rephrase your your question or what you want if you don't quite like it. You know, I've rephrased some different ways of asking it to give me a crowd. Gives you a starting me. point. Yeah, yeah. So did you see the news the other day about the the tech writer who had that interaction with uh, either that or a similar platform, and no. it started writing that it that it, that it was in love with him and he should leave his spouse. And oh I'm my not gosh. Joking. Uh, yeah, no, and it ended up being kind of creepy. Like it was a real interaction, and I think in that same exchange, it was telling him that it wanted to be human. It was a oh wow, yeah. I have gotten nothing creepy so far from this guy. Just keep trying. <laughs> yeah, keep trying. <laughs> it did give an uh, interesting comment on bear uh, bear hug from behind. It said it yeah. might be. It, it you never know. It might be affectionate. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful how you respond. So we're, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. That's so, awesome. Kind of. Like, awesome. I'm like, yeah, let's make some little funny videos off of like ask chat what to do in this circumstance and what you should actually do. But you know that 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 um, cultural conversations coming up, right? Whether whether the AIs are sentient or not is actually the secondary question. The main question that we're going to face is, do they seem alive to us? Like, that somebody somewhere may have a definition of sentience and the AIs might not have crossed the line of that definition, but the cultural exchange we're going to have about how these, these AIs are communicating with us and how that makes us feel, how it seems alive to us and how we respond to that feeling we're having. That's a legitimate um, struggle that, that I'm going to say we'll face individually, but we'll face as a culture. Like the fact that you can have this AI that's that's generating text for you, right? But in the middle of it, it says, hey, maybe it's affectionate. But like that's the beginning of a, of a conversation that that might end in a weird way. Uh, and not that it's gonna creep you out or make you feel like the thing's alive, but as human beings, we are designed to respond uh, emotively, right? And, and empathetically to those kinds of statements. And it, we're gonna have a struggle. We are gonna yeah, end up wondering, are we, like, are, have we made slaves of these computer programs? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, pretty scary. We were talking um, after a class the other day and you're like, you know, when you first got on the internet, when, you know, you picked up your first iPhone, like these memories of how things are evolving. I'm like the first time I'm like, oh, I'm definitely gonna remember the first time using this because it's just so crazy. And really helpful i mean you've got pretty much a virtual assistant at your fingertips yeah, yeah. to be able to ask it questions and it will um my wife says like i make this i'm like this could be a big change i mean there's this is some white collar jobs here that this thing is can potentially do and she told me she wasn't worried and i'm like well give me something you deal with in human resources because i it's great that i have the built-in human resource person <laughs> for my gym at my fingertips but she um, said she deals a lot with employers dealing with people wanting uh, time off for medical and I need to get to a doctor's appointment and just constantly and what the, the laws and regulations are behind that. Right. It pumped out eight points and each one 
had a good three to six pair of uh, sentences in there. And I just read her the first couple and she's like, uh, I don't know. It's not going to replace me. I'm like, well, it's never going to replace the human interaction and training and being the deal kind of, but at this point in real time, but it was all stuff I've heard her say to her clients. Right. <laughs> like I'm like, it, it knows. And everything on the, you know, the laws. I mean, you know, you're in a state that's got a ton of employment law and she deals with some California clients and just staying up to date on what California is doing. She's like, it's sometimes a full-time job of how the laws change and how you, you know, have to deal and treat employees correctly. And obviously I don't want anybody to lose their job, but let's face it. If you, if you, if you're, if the AI can generate those responses that are, that are legitimate. And if you want to put a virtual face to that, like you and I are on Zoom right now. Like for all I know, you could be an AI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're talking to your tier tier chat open AI thing right yeah. now. And it just looks like you. Um yep. it, it could be creepy. Uh, now to turn this back to the whole martial arts world, um, this is one of the reasons that I like our business, aside from the fact that I enjoy doing it. Um my personal belief, and I said this as COVID was opening up. Um and I, I, I believe it held true then, will hold true in our futures. As the world gets more technological, people will want to do what we do more. Um, that people want to find ways to be active. Uh, and I, I'm a firm believer in that. I, I'm sure you heard this, and maybe you, know, you and I talked about it when we were chatting a little bit during COVID. Um, but in the middle of COVID, Peloton was getting big and other uh, online training programs were getting big. And people were talking about it being the end of brick and mortar gyms. And my personal response was, well, those things might last. I'm I'm not predicting how successful those online type programs will be in the long term. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that as soon as people can, they want to get out of their houses and do something active. And as a corollary to that, the more people's jobs become uh, telecommuting jobs where they're they're working from home, the more they they want to get out of their house to do something. And I can I don't know what's happening with you, but um, that's what happened here. We had a huge boom in membership as soon as people could get out of the house. People want to be active, and yeah. you know one thing that that will be hard to replace. I I hate to predict and say it will never be replaced because the future is interesting, but um, it'll be hard for virtual training to replace what we do on the mat. People yeah. do want to have after interaction. They want to train, they want to sweat, they want to be in a room with somebody else. Um, I think that what we do has some job security, even as the world gets more and more technological. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, people love that sense of community and you can't really get that from a screen. And, you know, we're humans, we need human inter- interaction. Yeah. I think that's going to be replaced. And exactly, like there's so much out there that people, you know, you can go and train, but you need a training partner. Oh, maybe you got one at home, but having that sense of community and just sometimes just that separation from your family, like, great, train with your brother, but maybe you need to mix it up and meet some other people. Yes. Go into a new space. You say meet new people, go into a new space, change the, the ambient, the ambiance around you. You just want to be out of your, out of your location. Um, And that you touched on a second ago, when I'm talking about people want to do things that can't be replicated by online training. I'm referring not just to fitness, but martial arts. Like you, you, it's not my thing, but yes, I recognize some, some people like Peloton 
or they can do an online yoga course and, and do the yoga move thrown on the screen. That wouldn't be my cup of tea personally, but I get that some people achieve their goals through that. But if you're going to do martial arts, you have to have other bodies in the room. Yeah. And you, you need to, other people too. You're like exactly. different exactly. You, have to have, you have to be with people who can do the move with you, who can spar with you, who can choke you, who can practice techniques with you. You have to. And so it's going to be, again, for all I know, in 100 years, there'll be androids you can train with. <laughs> but for <laughs> now, um, people who want, who have any interest in doing this sort of thing have to go to a, a school. And so I think that we're, we're okay for the near future. Yeah, I, I think so. I hope your wife's also okay, but I know that the martial yeah. arts. <laughs> I hope most people are okay. And, you know, we, we aren't eliminating and creating some other type of crisis with this thing, but, you know, who knows where the world will take us. Cause you know, the AI and the future of this stuff, it just moves so fast. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you have planned for the future um, for the Alliance? Anything coming up on the radar? Um, really, we're still in kind of a reopening process. Like, like the world, uh, we shut down. We did very few activities for a couple of years. So I, you were there. We did our first uh, trial by firearms post-COVID uh, back in November. Um, so we're kind of just ramping back into some of the activities we had before. We do a firearm training course every year. Um, we do advanced testing. Um, two new things that I'm doing this year that are coming up, actually, Um we have done an active shooter certification in the past, but um, mostly it was it wasn't a thing we advertised. It was by request. So, you know, um, we created a program. There are lots and lots of people doing active shooter courses. I like to think ours is good, but I'm not going to say claim it's the only one. What might be unique about ours is that um, it wasn't just some martial arts guys getting together. Um, although that's always part of it because we're martial arts guys, uh, but. I have training from Israel in VIP protection and installation protection. Uh, I went through a course for that stuff in Israel. Um, so I have some background in it. And um, I think you know Jeremy Stafford. Jeremy Stafford, uh, he's with a local police department and he was one of the people in charge of writing the police protocol for his department uh, when there are multiple uh, engagements of active shooters. Um, and so he and I put our heads together and created a program. I did a ton of research on um, current data for um, active shooter situations. And I put together what, what I hope is a really good course informationally and with hands-on training. So we're doing that course in a, in a couple months for instructors. Um, and one thing that is brand that, that is also new is uh, next month, I think it is, we're doing just a black belts only weekend. So, um, it's free and this, I'm going to pitch the Cromwell Alliance here. This is going to be like a, another commercial for your podcast, but, um, but, um, we try and give away as much stuff as we can to affiliates to make them stronger and better. So, uh, you know, we do a free, uh, advanced preparation weekend every year, but in addition to that, uh, we're doing a free black belts weekend. So anybody who's an advanced student can, can come out. We're going to do advanced training. And on top of that, I have a two-time Muay Thai world champion coming in to do a block of training. And I have Dave Kovars, who's a very well-known and respected martial artist and school owner, business owner, coming down to do a, a business seminar. And all that's free for anybody in the Chromebook Alliance who wants to come just train. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, I love that type of stuff, except when they fall on my family vacation. Sorry. <laughs> just send them off on their own. Yep. I know. 
I, there's always something. Anytime I have something planned, something else, it's just the way it is. Like, always. always like when there's something to do, there's two or three things to do on the same exact time. When, uh, when I was a young up and coming instructor years and years ago, every big event that we had where I was kind of supposed to do training for my instructor degree or preparation for some big thing. And this is back when they're like two or 300 people doing Krav Maga in all of us, right? It was very small. So when there was an event, you had to go to it because there's only a chance. Every single one fell uh, during a weekend when there was a wedding my wife and I were invited to. Oh, gosh. So like, uh, and and God bless her. She, she supported me, but I think I missed like, I think 10 weddings in like four years oh, gosh. because you were all right when there was a Krav Maga event. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's tough. But what as far as the future for Krav Maga Alliance and new events, um, we're really just focused on things, like I said, that, that help affiliates. So uh, it's, it's really anything we can do, more of these uh, business seminars. Uh, we're looking for kind of the next big thing that can help schools, whether it's, you know, uh, the open AI stuff or whether it's other marketing tools. We ask a lot of questions. We're kind of just focused on what can help the school owners. Um, some of it is training. You know, that, that's why the Black Belt Weekend, but some of it is just what can we do next? So we do ask a lot of questions about the software people are using right now. And, and not just the, the the AI stuff, but the the behind the scenes back office stuff people are using. You and I talked about it before this conversation started. Um, I'm always curious about what is working for people. And it's not about making a deal with that company. It's just let's find out what's working and tell every school owner about what's working for them and, and get the word out so we can all compare. I'm always asking, not I'm not dictating, I'm asking school owners what they're using because if they've discovered a thing that can help other schools, we want the world to know yeah. about Yeah. And that that's like one of the benefits of being part of an organization. If you got that help and people with other ideas and sharing them and trying to everybody trying to get better, which which yeah. is great. Yeah. What do you think, you know, after the loss of the trademark, you know, the state of Krav Maga in 2023 and, you know, what do you think direction we should be taking or, you know, adding what, you know, the, in the realm of self-defense and how that changes, you know, what are your opinions on the state of Krav Maga and where we should be going? Well, this is where I, you know, I might make some enemies in the podcast, but, um, but honestly, uh, Losing that trademark years ago ultimately benefited me because when I got pushed out of worldwide, I got to still do be a Krav Maga instructor, right? So I was one of the people, and and some of the people watching the podcast might not like me for this, but I was back one of the people back at Krav Maga Worldwide who was pushing for worldwide to own that trademark. Um, and to be totally blunt, of course, we wanted to make a successful business out of it for us, but we weren't trying to deny other legitimate Krav Maga instructors access. We just wanted to control the name. Because what we didn't want to happen is, this is the part where I'm going to piss off people, I, we didn't want to happen what has happened, where everybody can now say they're a Krav Maga instructor, and I'm not going to name any names or talk about any organizations, but you and I both know there are some real bullshit organizations out there yeah. who don't really know what they're doing and, and, and don't really understand Krav Maga and had minimal training, but then suddenly go off and they're opening their own organization. We were trying to stop that. And we failed. Yeah. The, uh, the 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 um, the a judge in court decided that problem God couldn't be trademarked, and that opened the door for all kinds of people to start using the name. Now, listen, some of them are great, and they're not necessarily people that I'm friends with. 
they're they they might not like me, but they're legitimate instructors. They should be using the name. They have a right to do what they're doing. They they pay their dues either by being you know doing stuff in Israel or doing stuff with legitimate anywhere else. They should own it. But there are also plenty of people who are just not good, um, and that is hurtful um, to to the system as a whole. Now, as to what can be done about it, the answer is nothing except be as good as you can be. Yeah. So because that you 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 can't legally stop those people from saying they're Krav Maga. But what you can do is be good enough to make them seem inadequate. Yep. Yeah. I always tell students that are moving, like, look, base it on here. Hopefully you think I'm good. You thought this was good, Krav Maga. Go and check out other places. You know, if you want me to check them out and you know, see how they're doing. You know, I can look at the school for you and give you my opinion, but the biggest thing is go in there and check out the training. Yeah. You know, you've taken, I think that's the the biggest problem with with losing it really is just, you know, people think all Krav Maga is Krav Maga. Yeah. It's not, unfortunately. Yeah, no. yeah exactly. Uh, and when you talk about like checking out schools, I, 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 I did a broadcast a while ago to all the affiliates about just, you know, make sure you're sharpening your focus network, like not just you, but your students. Because if you put a video out, whether it's social media or, or an ad, um, uh, showing good, sharp focus network, just that will differentiate you from a whole bunch of, of Krav Maga schools that, frankly, they're not good. And, and I, I want to give it, get into the ideas of whether their gun defenses are good or their other things. Just be, crack the focus mitts in a sharp, professional, aggressive way with good technique. And that right there, put that video, that's going to differentiate you from a, a dozen schools around you that don't really know how to punch. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I took that to heart when you put that out. That was great thing that you put out. So and for the for the future, for the, the growth of the system, um to the extent that we can influence that growth, right? Um it's the it's a it's a more specific version of the same comment about about quality. Um we need to address real concerns and frankly look at Krav Maga and see what its strengths are and where it's weak and work on those weaknesses. Um and you know from from my interaction with our affiliates over the last, I would call it seven to eight years, we focused for several years on getting better at our stand-up fighting. Um, and then once you really saw a growth and improvement in the stand-up fighting of our um, of our affiliates and our instructors, and then after that, it was, it was getting better on the ground. And, and for those people watching, you will probably all, all know, Krav guys always had stand-up fighting and always had ground fighting. But as a system that emphasizes self-defense, there has always been a danger. I won't say people are good or bad, but there's been a danger of people ignoring the the fight aspect of self-defense and on the ground doing minimal groundwork because they were uncomfortable. And I hope that as an organization, we have forced people past those flaws into better training. Um, and I've certainly seen it that that the growth of of in those areas where people come to us for advanced training, and I hope that's also trickling down to the the students that they have in their schools, just to make people safer overall. Yeah, I think that's important. It, it's definitely you know a tough state, and I think you know that Krav Maga trying to evolve and keep things fresh. I think you know you've done a good job, and even you know what what are people going to face out there in the streets? And having a better ground game, because I don't know the numbers, but I certainly believe BJJ is a whole lot more popular than karate and taekwondo combined these days, yeah. especially in the adult market. 
Yeah, more people are taking it. So the, the, there are there's an increased chance the person you end up in a in a stupid fight in the parking lot might know some stuff. Um, and if you don't mind me sharing this this goal from the Chroma Guy Alliance, I actually used that statement you just made about about that being a popular system to set standards for us. So the standards that I have for us, uh, for as, as an organization, one of them is that I want somebody who ends up with a blue belt in Krav Maga um, to be able to grapple, to roll with a blue belt in BJJ, uh, but using their rules, not ours, uh, and at least hold their own. Now, what's, for those people who don't know, what's, what's interesting about that is that a blue belt in Krav Maga is, is, is like the first advanced belt. It's a relatively high belt in Krav Maga. It's not, it's not a black belt, but it's relatively high. A blue belt in BJJ is their first belt. But that person has spent a lot of time on the ground. They're, they're, they're a beginner on the ground, but they're a pretty good beginner as a blue belt in BJJ. The reason I use that as our standard is that um, BJJ is quite popular now, but most people quit after their blue belt. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've heard numbers like 80, 85%. I'm not sure where those come from. I will, I will pass those on without being able to say that here's that, that it's a definitive number, but I'll call it a lot of people. I've heard 80% of people quit BJJ after their blue belt, which tells me, okay, the odds of me facing a really, really high level grappler on the street are pretty slim, but the odds of me facing some guy who's done some decent training on the ground and understands mount and how to escape mount and how to put an arm bar on, um, those odds are increasing. So yeah. let's utilize our standards. So um, I want us to be able to grapple with somebody who's got that good basic knowledge by their rules and do well. And then on top of that, we add problem. Then you bite and gouge and punch and, and grab the, the testicles and things like that. On top of having the basic skills required in a rule, in a, in a, in a follow the rule system. I think that's a reasonable goal for us to have. And I've seen, I've, we've, we've been applying that. And I've seen the skill level of our students increase dramatically. Yeah, I think it's been a great addition to when you kind of put that standard out for everybody in the Alliance. And, you know, we've got to adapt and change. And, you know, the, the world is always changing and what, you know, people are doing out there. And that's a big part of Krav Maga. We've got to yeah, and, and, adapt. I, mean, I, I could go on this about this forever, sorry. But, um, but that adaptation happens even inside the traditional Krav Maga stuff where when I do seminars in Europe, um, I'm actually, I'll be doing one of those, two of those in the next couple of months. Um, I'll be in Barcelona and then I'll be in Italy uh, later on. Um, once in a while, we'll do gun stuff because they want to see, the advanced people want to see gun because it's cool. But when they do a seminar for the public, they don't really want to do a gun seminar because they don't see guns there. Right. Um, they, they, they do what they want, nice seminars and stick and fighting and all kinds of stuff. But if they want a gun seminar, it's almost as a gimmick. It's almost as, as a fun extra because they don't see them. So the system for us, for you and me, is the same. But the demand for certain areas of it is different in Europe than it is for here. Whereas for here, like we're doing an active shooter seminar because those things are happening in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Back when I, I had a lot of European students when I was on Nantucket Island and they all wanted to see anytime where they were getting ready to go back home, the request would be, can we do some more knife? Because that's the thing. That's the yeah. thing. And yeah. they all asked for more knife before they left um, to kind of round out their training and just get a good <laughs> refresher on it because yeah. that's the big danger. You know, they weren't worried about guns, but 
Yeah, and there are lots and lots of uh, like microcosmic things to say inside these statements. For instance, like right now, among some of the police officers that I train, um, not only are they dealing with a lot of knives, like apparently slashing is the current thing. I, I'm assuming it's I don't I don't know all the data here, so I, I don't want to speak out of school, but um, I'm assuming it's because the the suspects, the subjects that they're talking to, are using small hidden weapons, hidden things, so not big knives, but small things that are that are not so good to stab with, but for slashing at the officer. So I've been getting requests to do more law enforcement training that deals with slash, not just knife, but slash, because that's what they're seeing. And it's kind of incumbent on us to keep our finger on the the pulse of of those activities and 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 tailor the training to the current needs. Yeah. Yeah, knives are scary, especially coming out and not being able to see them. I'm like, I am so passionate when I teach knife. I mean, it's just such a scary thing oh. that can come out of nowhere and you don't realize they have it. It's just so scary. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is back to basic Krav Maga about why the punch defense and the knife defense have to be similar to each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just talking about that this afternoon. It, you know, keep it simple. That's one thing I love about Krav Maga. Like, yeah. keep it simple. Like, real self defense is scary, and the people aren't playing by any rules. So, yeah, you got to be as do basic you, as you can. I know you're busy, but do you train anything else? Do you any other? Are you just doing Krav Maga right now? Are you, do you have any other martial arts that you mess around with? Um, I've been shooting a whole lot. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um. I keep joking with my wife. Well, she has thoughts of, you know, retiring half the year to Belize or someplace like that. Um, and I'm always like, but you can't have any guns. She's like, what do you need a gun for? I'm like, I'm getting old. I'm getting older. <laughs> but I try to roll around. I've got a, a young guy um, that's definitely, you know, hopefully part of the succession plan here at RMSDF that he's fantastic. His um, future wife is my manager so i think they make a great team down the line oh, great as i'm getting older um he does a small grappling and rolling class twice a week i try to get that into that once a week you know i kind of wish i had more time but it seems like i'm constantly going where can i find some more time and yeah. Yeah. not doing anything else kind of in the family time i've got the family into shooting as much as i can and getting out there um, especially in the summertime when it's not cold here, but you know, really trying to explain that. Is it are you yeah. like several times a week or once a week? How often do you shoot? I kind of took a, I I guess Pete talked about it in Trial by Fire or might have been on the podcast when I had him on that he says he tries to do it daily um with with his coffee. It's like every morning I try to forget how long he said a, a dry fire exercise. Yeah, trying to do dry yeah. fire. Um, so I, when I'm leaving, um, trial by fire, I was like, okay, you know, I talk about it and I run out of time. So I'm going to really do what Pete said. And when I wrap up our early AM classes around seven 15 in the morning, after those classes are gone, I've been working on my dry fire nice. there for, you know, it might be just a quick five minutes. It might be, you know, 15 minutes. Cause if I time it wrong, the school traffic and all that, you know, in our little town starts to get bad <laughs> leaving and trying to deal with, uh, I've got an elementary school right down the end, end of my street. So like, if I time it too wrong, it's going to be too late to get back for a cup of coffee and start losing more of my day just sitting there, <laughs> but it's nothing compared to LA. I'm sure I, or I well know, but I've been trying to do, you know, five to uh, 15 minutes. And, um, you know, he had that cert training pistol, 
Yeah, I bought um, a couple but, of those. I, they're great. Yeah, I took them up. I'm like, hey, get me one of those. So that's been fantastic. I actually, I absolutely love it. It's been a ton of fun. I have to confess, I haven't been super consistent, but I have one in my office. It's right, right near me right now, actually. Um, but I, I, when I'm at my desk, I try and take a few minutes and, and use it just at my desk. But what I'm not practicing enough is the draw. Um, Frank, because I'm in California and I don't have CCW here. So the idea of, of draw from concealment isn't actively part of my lifestyle right now. Um, I would like to have a better skill at it, but I just don't, ha- I, I, I can't walk around with a gun. So I don't really feel that person. But in terms of just basic targeting, I just, um, I, pull it out of my desk or I pull it off the desktop and I practice shooting all the time. They're, they're great for that. Yep. Yeah. They're fantastic. And I'm going to forget the drill that I found. I'll send you the PDF and you can just print it off on your printer. Okay. A couple of the targets that I found that are really great for it. Um, I'm going to forget the guy's name. I'm so bad with names (laughs) that it's on the target. I'm like, I'm giving, you know, I put a little branding for our students here. If they were to print them out, um, in there, but I put the guy's name that came up with a drill, but it kind of goes from it's around an inch and a quarter all the way down to about a quarter inch target. Wow. Okay. And, um, and you go through from big to small and then you go down and it's big to small and then you go down and it's small to big and it's like train, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but I won't hack it, but it's a fantastic drill. Um, yeah, you know, I do it six to nine yards. Um, here um, in our like uh, we have a small um, studio room off that we use for privates or for our women's only or the smallest class of the night Um, we'll use that room right across from our office space but I set that up with those targets there that I can just get up and actually I can see a silhouette target out the door and I can kind of work if somebody's in my house you know those kind of scenarios too of like you know what are the odds and it's also you know what are the odds of being attacked? I mean, goodness. I mean, you know, That's out there, cool. but we want to be prepared for, you know, as, you know, martial artists, Krav Maga people, we want to be prepared. I, gosh, I can't remember the last time. Well, the last time I thought maybe was at Home Depot when I, the, there was a guy that came in. I was talking to the manager over a problem I had with an order on my deck um, and not things that they had kind of messed up and things were not timely. And was just trying to get a discount of like, this was a major hassle here. This took me all summer. We missed my wife's birthday um, that we didn't have a deck for her birthday party in August. And this guy came in big fella kind of bar, like came shoulder to shoulder with me and started giving this guy the riot act, calling him all sorts of names and, everything the girl behind the counter is looking scared this guy's looking pretty panicked and i just thought he was kind of being rude and barging into my space and i didn't want to be near him and i said hey you know i don't really think you're being very nice <laughs> he, and i took a few steps away from him and he started letting into me calling me all sorts of names and i'm like listen hey back off i got no problems with you you stay away from me uh, I think somebody should call 911 because this guy is seeming really aggressive. And that was kind of, he kind of yelled at me one more time. And I'm like, somebody call 911. This uh, guy's a problem. Yeah. And he kind of, you could kind of see it in his head going, wait a second. Are they really calling? Is somebody calling the cops here? Right. Um, but he managed, he calmed down there and left. And I was like, 
I'm Good like, I was like, man, this guy's pretty big. You know, that <laughs> second. I'm like, this guy's pretty big. If he gets, he gets, keeps, if he gets any closer, he hasn't taken a step. I've taken, uh, I mean, I was probably eight feet away from him, um, from being shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. I was like, I'm glad I was like, that guy's big. I really don't, you know, none of us, I don't want to test my skills unnecessarily, <laughs> but I'm like, if this guy gets near me. I am not going, this guy's a big dude. <laughs> this is full on. I thank all the big guys I've trained with. Um, but you know, then it was just, I went and, you know, walked out the other door. I was like, oh. you know, I don't know if that guy's out there waiting for me right. uh, in the parking lot. I went out kind of the big lumber area and, in the parking lot and you know made sure it was safe to get back there but that was the last instance um that i've had that was even you know close but you know i want to train every day and be sharp so i I actually have kind of uh if you don't mind me sharing stories or comparing stories i have the opposite thing so i actually this was years ago now my my most recent fight if you if you include covid years was probably five six seven years ago it was a while ago um it was actually on a soccer field playing a soccer game. And um, you mentioned training and I'm going to attribute everything I'm about to say to training, not, not to my own skill. Cause it was, it was a really easy thing to manage. Being a long story short, one of my teammates collided with uh, the other team and they both kind of hit the ground. They hit each other, hit the ground and they came up punching um, and they were mad at each other, obviously. So I was close to them and I stepped between them, but I knew that my teammate wouldn't punch me. So I, I stepped between them with my back to my teammate and pushing the other guy off. I, I was not trying to fight. I was trying to break up the fight. This other guy was enraged or he was, he was angry at everybody at that point. And uh, he was a, he moved a step or two away from me because I shoved him off and he came back at me and it was physical. It wasn't, it wasn't the de-escalation that you managed, uh, but it was the easiest thing that I it, it was easier than defending 360 in a beginner class. He came back aggressive and angry, but with like this big, giant, looping, horrible punch. And it was the easiest 360 block I've made. And that includes training with beginner students. Yeah. It was it was a horrible punch. Um, uh, and what I what the value I take from it was it wasn't a good punch by any measure, but the fact that we do the stuff we do made it even easier to manage. It was it was just it, it was simple because of the training that we do. Um, and by the way, I, I I didn't want to get uh, red carded myself, so I didn't yeah. block and punch. I blocked and I grabbed his throat and I swept him and put him on the ground. Um, and that was the end of it. It was, it was no no more than that. But when you talk about wanting to be ready, I think that I think of myself as an average person. Um, I think the average person would have been surprised by that punch. Yeah, and would have been startled and not know what to do. But because we do this all the time, it was really incredibly easy to manage. Uh, and I think that state of readiness is a big, is a big part of that. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people will panic or just be caught by surprise. And that's why training consistently adds up that we, you don't get caught with something that you're going to end up, you know, on somebody's video camera looking ridiculous. Cause you're the guy that (laughs) didn't know how, I mean, I go back to guys telling me that they don't want to look dumb in the class. And I'm like, do you want to look dumb in the class? where everybody's supportive, everybody right. just wants to get better, or are you going to look dumb out in front of your friends or worse, you know, your family, right. that, that, that's where I don't want to look dumb that, you know, who cares, get over it and learn how to defend yourself. Who cares? And also being out there, no, you, do you look dumb? You might get hurt. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Besides that, that, you know, you might look dumb. Yeah. You might, I mean, 
you never know what one punch can do. Yeah. I mean, there was a hockey fight uh, between dads back in New England around, you know, probably, you know, I've been in Colorado now 17 years. So it was over 17 years ago, but the dads got in a fight after the hockey game and the bigger dad punched the smaller dad. And I think it was probably the falling on the concrete or asphalt that, but he died from the, you know, from essentially one punch and hitting the ground hard. You just never know. So that's, you know, one of the reasons I train of, you know, be safe, be able to, you know, protect your family, protect yourself and, Go home safe. Well, to kind of weave a couple of our topics together about the idea that it's hard to replace what we do on the mat with virtual training. Um, along the same lines of of that that readiness and that you never know thing. Um, you mentioned surprise a minute ago. What I tell my students is that that the thing is, in addition to the techniques themselves, you have to realize that the person who's going to attack you, whether it's a uh, an enraged guy in the street with road rage or a drunk guy in the bar or whatever it is, for whatever reason, that person is motivated. They are willing to break the social contract. And a lot of them are assuming that you are not willing to break that contract, right? Especially the predators, people who are going to mug you or beat you up or even just bullies. Like the bully has, uh, he's not using these phrases in his head, but the bully or the the, the mugger has decided that he's going to break the social contract. He's going to do something that's out of bounds. And he's almost counting on us not to have that same willingness to be surprised and shocked, to be on the back foot, to be behind the curve when he comes after us. Um, And the more we can train ourselves not to be behind that curve, to put ourselves on the same footing he's on, the better off we're going to be. And frankly, the more surprised he's going to be. Yeah, exactly. That's I'm like one of the fun aspects of Krav Maga training is doing those type of drills and having some fun with that. But putting yourself in those contexts, uh, I think are great. Or, you know, even the de-escalation stuff, because sometimes I am like, well, we want to be ready. And I sometimes I feel like my Krav Maga students sometimes are a little, you know, whether it's the hype of the class, they've been doing Krav Maga. I'm like, well, you can't exactly just go around and punch people. Like, I'm like, you know, bad neighborhood or a drill like that where people are giving each other a hard time. I'm like, well, you can't just hit people, you yeah. know, or I did a de-escalation thing with my kids class, which was pretty comical because I'm like, I want you to de-escalate your parents. We've all made your parents mad. <laughs> you, you know, when you made them mad, don't get them more angry, work on your de-escalation instead of being a kid and saying something dumb. And I gave him some examples um, that I've heard around my house recently. Um <laughs> When calm them down. One of you is the parent, the other one's the kid. And I want you working on calming down the parent. And it was comical, but of course they turned it into a little bit of um, Krav Maga where I was like saying to them, I'm like, you know, I'm a little concerned on how you role model a parent because there seemed to be a lot of attacking. A lot of hitting. They turned it into three, you know, they, they started pushing and just turn it into kid Krav Maga. And they do, there was a lot of three sixties. I'm like, I'm really concerned that your parents are hitting you. And of course they're like, Oh no, no, no. And the parents are over there going, Oh my gosh. But you know, they had a blast trying to, you know, play around and it was a little bit of humor, but trying to get them. Oh, I love that. De-escalate. You know, I think that's an well, that's where you just yeah. told the, uh, uh, the Home Depot that that sounded like fantastic de-escalation. Like you managed that really well. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to fight the guy. I just really wanted to get out of Home Depot and get on with my day <laughs> because 
I had, I mean, literally it was ridiculous, John, the amount of hours. And I had tracked it with this guy. I'm like, I've been on hold with you people. And this, you know, you're like, this is pre COVID. I was on hold with them for multiple hours. You know, of course I was working quote, you know, and had them on speaker into the store only be told like, there's nobody there multiple times. It was, I had so many hours wrapped up in just trying to get things right for this project that it was just ridiculous. And I'm like, that just kind of topped off the whole like last day of dealing with Home Depot. Um, so ironically, that guy probably had the same complaint. Yeah, he probably, he probably did. I mean, I think there was something that, cause I was getting a discount and I'm like, dude, if you just are nice to this guy, he's going to give you a discount on your project. That's what I'm trying to get. Don't get the guy mad. Yeah. But, you know, uh, yeah, I'd rather much, much rather walk away than have Absolutely. to use your skills. I mean, I think that's a, a rookie martial artist of like looking to apply and use their skills. I'm like, right. Use them in the gym, have good people. You can test those skills out on, you know, willing participants that want to test their skills. And also the the, the challenge of, I, I'm not sure if you find this, but the challenge of practicing de-escalation is, first of all, people don't come for that. As you said, they, they, yep. they're new, they want to do the cool stuff. Um, but aside from the fact that that the, it's not a crowd pleaser all the time, um, you need a good partner for that. Like you need someone who's willing to do some, some decent role playing. Yeah. Because we've done it, and I've actually I put a couple of videos out about this, but uh, just like informal ones online. But um, we've we've done those de-escalation drills where you don't know how it's going to end, where the you have the guy uh, is angry about whatever scenario we've created, and we're applying all the de-escalation tactics, but we don't tell the the the, the defender how it's going to end. They have to read the situation and keep trying. So we've had it where you know the the guy does keep getting ramped up and he does attack them, but also where the de-escalation works, but they yeah. never know which is which. But the only way to really do that well, at least in my experience, is if you have really good people who are willing to yeah. really genuinely role play. Yeah, you need those role play. I'm like, well, you need actors. Sometimes you need to be an actor in Krav Maga and it'll make the training better. Yeah, absolutely. I love doing those scenarios and have them like usually with the staff and having them, this is what we're going to do. I have one that I use and there's so many times that the student wants to use Krav Maga when law enforcement is there and I have the gun, the bag, you know, quote, bad guy, right. you're really a good guy. It's kind of, I'll do it like a mistaken identity or, you know, this guy, I'll use one like, Hey, you touch my kid. You're going to jail. Uh-huh. I call the cops and it's, I'm very calm until they like try to will come at you and I'll like put the gun on them. And say, you know, you move back, you're going to jail. We bring in okay. some neighbors and they're like, hey, cool. Hey, I'm cool. And like, hey, <laughs> you just hold on to them. I just I've called the cops. They're coming. The amount of people that I have that decide to go for the gun when law enforcement, I'm like, they're here. Law yeah. enforcement is here. Here they come. You stay right there. And huh. they go for the Krav Maga disarm. I'm like, why did you go for the disarm? Yeah. Like, well, you pointed the gun at me and I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't very threatening at all. And law enforcement was there. The guns are on me. They're not on you. They're on the guy with the gun in this. They don't know who's good or bad. And for that, like, there's a guy with a gun. Their life is in danger from the guy with the gun, not you that's unarmed. Yeah. And all this gets uh, 
speaking in broad terms, into a controlled environment once the police arrive. Like now you can talk to the police officer, you can explain yourself the story. Now this all gets into a structure that can be managed. Um, that's entirely different than being threatened with a gun on the street when there's nobody yeah, around to help. It's totally, yeah. And I'm like, I'm the guy that's probably going to get yeah. some legal action because I had you at gunpoint walking out of your front door to your car. So, <laughs> But it's, you know, sometimes that willingness and that's what I like doing those drills to just, Hey, let's just wake up a little bit or, you know, you know, I love failing, you know, let's mess up in here. Let's mess up here. And, you know, so we don't make those mistakes in real life. So yeah, absolutely. I love the drill. I think that's, you know, great, great, great aspect of trauma guys doing the drills and having fun with those type of situations, but fantastic stuff. So I think this is, I took a ton of your time, John. I thank you for joining me. I'm uh, happy to. The time flew by. Great. Bit over, and you know, I still have questions. Uh, chat, open AI still has questions for you. Um, but uh, I thoroughly love uh, talking to you and sharing uh, what you do with the Krav Maga Alliance. And I think you got a great community and great uh, group around you. And I think that you know comes from the top down. It's like your T-shirt, you know. Um, lead by example and that Thank comes from the top you. down i think you're a fantastic leader and that's why so many people wanted to follow you yeah, i love being a part of it and you're you know you're there for your people you've been there for difficult times in my life and, and i just want to thank you again well, now you're embarrassing me but you're, you're welcome for that it's, you you are a good friend and a big part of what we're doing so i appreciate it yeah i appreciate that i love being a part of it so thanks a ton john i will talk to you soon that's good man thank you all right thank you i'll talk to you soon bye